I would really like try to find that, like a niche that's already been proven to really buy stuff. Yeah, it's hard to target like a niche of minimalists. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not your best bet. Welcome to Start Yours, a podcast by Obolo about what it's like to start your own thing. I'm Alicia McCormack, and today I'm featuring a best-of episode recorded by my colleague David Vranikar, where he interviewed a very entrepreneurial couple, Yulia and Mike Pavlo, who are committed to doing things pretty differently. This entrepreneurial couple from New Jersey are the owners of an accessories e-commerce store built using the dropshipping model. While building their business, they've made a point to ignore much of the traditional advice for dropshippers, which is where it gets really interesting. They're only one year in, but so far they've had over 10,000 orders and built a loyal audience of 40,000 followers across their social media profiles. And I haven't even mentioned the $200,000 they've made in sales revenue. It's pretty clear as you'll hear in this interview that whatever Yulia and Mike are doing, it is working really well for them. If you're enjoying Start Yours, then be sure to subscribe and also head to obelo.com to check out all of our blogs, our YouTube videos, and of course, if you want to get in touch, all you need to do is pop us an email, podcast at obelo.com. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, here's David's interview with Yulia and Mike. All right, so there's a ton to get to here. You two have an awesome dropshipping business that's up over 2 million in revenue. Your your store's Facebook page is flirting with 100,000 followers. I'm sure it will have 100,000 by the time uh, this airs. You have a raging email marketing operation that we're going to hit on too, but uh, first, uh, I think it's fun that you two uh, are a couple. I love a good you know, dropshipping love story. So, <laughs> so let me start there. Um, you know, anyone who's in a relationship or who's been in a relationship can probably you know, immediately reel off some things that, that they think would be awesome about launching a business with a partner and then um, some things that would be, be less awesome. What, what can you two say just generally about the, the couple aspect of, of the business? Yeah, so it was kind of terrifying because we were dating for five years before we started working together. And when we started working together, I said, oh, my God, we're either going to break up or get married because we had never done this before. Um, And a year later, we did get eloped. So it worked out. Um, We actually usually just say, oh, you know, it works because we do things separately. But we just realized that's not actually true. We do everything together. Um, But what really helps us is that like we think very differently. Like I'm more big picture and Mike is very detail and optimization focused. Um, And so we don't really create areas where we butt heads too much. Yeah, it's very complimentary as opposed to just like fighting on ideas. Yeah, and it's really like just taking our relationship to the next level, like because we literally spend 24 seven together. Um, And so we've actually just gotten to know each other like even more. And surprisingly, we actually fight less, I think, because we've learned that like the more we fight, the less money we make. So we got (laughs) really good at getting over fights quickly. Yeah, we're really good at like... um systems and streamlining things including (laughs) fights so it's like okay we're gonna be over this in like 30 minutes so let's let's just just get it out (laughs) standard operating procedures so that's your your relationship advice is to start a business Uh, Uh, if you really like want to expedite if is this person a yes or a no if you want a business you'll know really quickly (laughs) it's a great way to test things and put it under an extremely strong uh, microscope (laughs) so your your first business wasn't drop shipping but was instead a subscription box so the idea was that that people would subscribe and then every month they'd get 
get a, a bundle of goodies. Where did that idea come from? We were actually, I remember we were really bored one day. Well, it was two things. It was a combination of boredom and burnout. So I had been in like the health coaching and business consulting world for a really long time. And I was just like totally burnt out on like you know, trading hours for dollars, dollars for hours, um, and just like being on calls all day long. And even though I felt like an entrepreneur, I was really just like self-employed because how much money I made depended on how many hours I put in. So I was like really desperate for something that was scalable, where I was replaceable and that I could sell in the end. Because like, for example, with coaching, like if I stop coaching, like that's it, like that's the end of it. There's no future money to be made. So we started like just randomly flirting with the idea of subscription boxes. And we thought about the brain and like mind, because that's something that's always been really interesting to us and we were like oh wouldn't it be cool if like every month you got a new like puzzle or brain challenge to keep your brain sharp um you know because like learning new things keeps your mind sharp but who has the time to learn new things every month so we were like we like this idea let's just kind of give it a go and that was like our first foray into e-commerce and we learned so much because we were in contact with so many different businesses and we learned a ton about like fulfillment and manufacturing and marketing and we realized like we really love marketing and we really hate fulfillment and manufacturing <laughs> um so drop shipping was like the perfect thing <laughs> yeah i think that I never thought of it like that, but yeah, that's exactly what it was. Dropshipping was the next logical step. It might be the next step, but it's still quite a bit different. You know, the the original business would have been, you know, putting together these boxes, then you ship them out yourselves. Uh, the purchases were recurring. Um, there's just kind of a lot of, you know, differences from the typical dropshipping store. What was it about dropshipping where, where you guys thought, you know, this makes sense, this is the next step? Uh, what, what was the appeal versus what you were doing? I think the, well, the biggest appeal for me was just not like once a month spending like six hours packing boxes. Um, <laughs> you would think it takes a lot more time than you would think uh, you know, designing the boxes and then putting the paper and like the 10 items in them and sealing them up and printing labels and having like half of your tiny apartment just be completely filled with boxes. Well, I don't think necessarily we went into drop shipping because of our hate no. of like packing but boxes. But it was an incredible <laughs> perk about that. I think it was more so it was everything we loved. Like we loved running advertisements. We loved doing product descriptions. We loved finding products that already exist that we don't have to make um, that we thought were cool. Like we're not creative enough, at least right now, to create our own products, but we're really good at spotting like good products. Yeah, it was all the best parts of the previous business. Yeah, and it was just like way more scalable we felt like um, whereas like subscription boxes we were like limited with how many people we could reach based on like how much cash flow we had because a lot of it we had to pay up front mm -hmm. um, to get product with drop shipping it was like unlimited potential to really like scale to the moon so it was perfect there were these differences you know of course between the subscription box and and drop shipping and some things that that you thought you know you could pawn off the stuff you didn't like double down on the stuff you do like um, what were some of the, the things that you took from the subscription box business into dropshipping? Some things that you learned and that you, you retained, even if the models were totally different? Well, that was the first time we ever uh, worked on Facebook ads. So that was something that was really interesting, uh, understanding a little bit about how to reach customers, um, website, and yeah, product pages and website design, really delving into the analytics, building an email list was a big thing that we ended up 
uh, became a big part of our dropshipping business eventually. Yeah, because with uh, subscription boxes, email marketing is huge because you want to retain your customers so that there's no churn. And I think that's a, a really big thing that people don't um, associate churn with uh, dropshipping businesses because they just kind of think you buy Facebook ads or whatever ads and you obtain a customer and that's it. But if you really focus on retaining customers, that's when you can make a lot more money drop shipping. Yeah, so we're really grateful. Like definitely that email part of subscription box was something that we incorporated into drop shipping, which I don't think, you know, many other people like realize the potential of that. Yeah, so let's let's dig into email because I think you know, I, I totally agree that that just kind of based on what we hear and, and, and what you know the conventional wisdom is, you know, with drop shipping, maybe there's a little bit less of a of an emphasis on on retention and and therefore a little bit less emphasis on email. Um, but this is a, a channel that, that, as you've said, has been huge for your business. You saw it with with the subscription box and then you kind of counterintuitively, at least for, for the dropshipping world, you, you retained that. So what's at the heart of of the the email list building and kind of just the email operation in general. What's the what's the focus and how do you go about building that list? And so the beauty of an email list is once you get a customer's email, that is your information that you get to keep. Whereas like on Facebook, you know, you're targeting an audience, but if Facebook shuts down, that's it. Like you don't have access to them anymore. So an email is like such a great asset for a business because it's yours. And once you have that email, you can market to those people forever without paying the customer acquisition cost. Yeah. Because the customer acquisition cost or how much you pay to get a customer is the most expensive thing generally in a dropshipping business. You pay more on advertising revenue than you do on cost of goods or software or anything like that. So I think a big thing is to um, focus on, obviously, you know, with ads you get uh, a purchase, but at bare minimum you need to focus on getting an email because then... If you just at least get an email at the top of the funnel like that when you're paying for it, then you can really just remarket that for free. Yeah. And so basically like the customer journey to go from, you know, Facebook to email us is really simple. Like we've had the best success with just a simple pop up um, and a discount, you know, for 10, 15, 20 percent, whatever makes most sense for your store. And from there, they enter one of our automated flows. So we have abandoned cart flows. We have um, a welcome flow for someone who's visited the site, but, you know, got the coupon, but didn't make a purchase yet or didn't add anything to your cart. Um, and we have a variety of ways that we really nurture people on autopilot in addition to having live emails and newsletters that we send out. So once you're in our email list, like we love you, we're, you know, emailing you, we're keeping in contact, building trust all the time and putting different products in front of you. Customer win back flows too. If someone, you know, purchased but hasn't purchased in X amount of days, you can kind of give them a nudge and say, hey, we miss you. Here's like a special discount for you or um, just, you know, when people spend enough money or make enough purchases, really treating them like VIPs and letting them know that they are valuable to our community. I think that's a really big thing. And the beauty of email marketing is that it's so accessible for every dropshipper, like as soon as you start, because like there's amazing apps like Klaviyo, um, which have, you know, flows already built in. All you have to do is like literally turn them on. They're extremely conversion driven and they work. So, um, you know, email marketing, it can sound intimidating, but it's really so easy. Just use the automated flows, put your logo on it. And as time goes on, you know, you can customize it and make it feel more like you. But 
say get started with email marketing right away because it's just amazing to nurture your customers. It's interesting to think about the, because I think a store is never totally finished, right? Like you could optimize it forever. forever. There's no, it's just a matter of when you want to launch. And so are, are you saying that, that this is one of the things that should come before, you know, spending money on ads, that, that the, the email setup is kind of a prerequisite to, to really wanting to scale? As, a, as opposed to a luxury that you add later on? I would say at least just basic email flows. Um, I think all stores, I would always start with a, a pop-up on the website that exchanges an email for a coupon right. and just giving them a welcome series or at least just one welcome email like that. An abandoned cart email for sure, at least one. Um, and a post-purchase email trying to sell them on another product because that's the hottest time. When someone's already pulled out their credit card and paid for something for you, that's when they're the warmest and that's when you can really get them to buy more things again. So uh, I do believe that at least those three things are like prerequisites on all any store we'd ever start. Yeah, and I think it's just like important from a mindset perspective, like treat your store like it's going to be a success from day one. Like I know I've been guilty of that in the past, like being sloppy and just be like, oh, you know, once I get like really successful ads, then I'll make, you know, my logo nicer, my website nicer, like whatever. But the truth is, if you treat it like it's going to be a success from the start, then, you know, you're not going to be sloppy with it. You're going to make it a well-oiled machine from the start. And that's how it will inevitably you know, become successful if you're really mindful and strategic with it. So definitely have email marketing in place as soon, like right before you start running your first ad, because, you know, that's one customer that you can already have, like in your email sequences. Yeah, we see just from abandoned cart emails right now, we have it pretty well optimized, but we um, retain 10% of abandoned carts, we convert them into purchases. Oh, wow. So if you think about... um, running Facebook ads without having an abandoned cart flow or at least an abandoned cart email, you're not, you're wasting your money, essentially. You're just essentially. leaving money on you're, the like, table, literally. And if you want your ads, I mean, ads are the most expensive thing, and especially for new stores, you know, money's not exactly the, you don't have an infinite budget to spend on ads. Sure. So before you start spending money on ads, make sure you are getting the most you can from them when you do start spending on them. And are the, are the, the pop-up discount codes, are, are those also in place for people arriving via ads? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Their exit intent. Exit intent. Exit intent. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So I mean, that's basically if you're kind of just setting up more potential touch points. I mean, of course, you run an ad, you want somebody to buy, which would be awesome. But if they don't do that, you can at least catch them on the way out. Yeah. And without getting like way too into the, the whole thing of it, but um, people just kind of a lot of times start stores and it's just like we're creating an ad for the intent of a conversion right. and we hope they buy. But you really need to treat it as a funnel. And, you know, people may not buy the first time they see it, but... Um, Especially because they probably never heard of you before, so it's like... But if you can you know, capture the email, then you can... Let them know. Remarket to them for free. And two, three, four touch points, they'll purchase. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because a lot, of, a lot has been made about kind of the demise of email and how it's, it's a... You know, you need to communicate on Messenger or you need to communicate on Instagram and that, you know, email is kind of this, this withering, mm-hmm. you know, it's collecting dust over there. But sounds like uh, that has not been your experience. Yeah. Well, if people want to think that, that's fine because <laughs> there's more room for us. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's so, you can certainly still do great things like that with Messenger or even like SMS now. But um, none of that replaces email. All of that just is complementary to email. Yeah. Agreed. So you, you mentioned the that emails contain a discount or, you know, a reminder to, to return to an abandoned cart. 
is there any other you know magic formula that you have in these emails? I mean, that's stuff that I think might be top of mind for a lot of people. Do you do other things within them that are? Yeah. So I mean, um, for the like welcome series with the pop up, if they um, get into that flow, we talk about we send them a series of emails like three days in a row, one email. Um, or even for abandoned cart. And the first time we like, will remind you about you have an abandoned cart. But then a lot of these people who are, are discovering us through an ad don't know who we are. So we can send another email like describing who we are, what our company does. Reviews. Um, we can post positive reviews so people get social proof. Um, we do. We tend to um, attach some charitable donations to our stores, so we focus on that. That like uh, X amount of proceeds will go to this cause. Um, basically, you should use those emails to ad- address any objections you would get why someone didn't purchase the first time. Someone might not purchase because um, the price was too high, so you have coupons for that. They may not purchase because um, they don't know you, so they don't trust you, so you can send them reviews. And then also, even if they're on the fence, if you attach like a charitable cause to it, um, they may be more inclined to say, okay, I really, like this is a cause that's important to me. I would like to support this as well. And things like that can push people over the edge. Cool. So you're basically addressing... Address, Ad- yeah, yeah. It's a it's a way to address any kind of possible objection. You mentioned just now that that your emails might contain a description of the brand and a description of, of the the charities that you all work with, um, which which takes us into branding, which is a, another thing that I know you all uh, focus a ton on, um, and, and it's something that maybe is back of mind for for some dropshippers who think that you know they want to find a, a, a trending product and, and get things rolling real real quick, real hot, and then you know jump ship. Branding is much more of a, of a longer term thing. Um, where does the emphasis on, on branding come from? Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say the days of like pump and dump drop shipping are like coming to an end. Um, you know, for us, we are a brand first and drop shipping is just one part of the business. It's literally only the fulfillment side of the business. Um, and that is how you really make, you know, sustainable long term success. Like I always say, like, you know, the viral drop shipping, you can get rich overnight. But with building a brand, you get rich forever because it may take longer to get started, but you build a strong community of people who, you know, like the same type of things who support each other, which is like a beautiful thing to create in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you create products like we create winners. We don't find winners because we know our audience so well and we know what they like. We can find a product on AliExpress that has like, you know, maybe one or 200 orders, but we can make that a viral winner without competition. Like it's completely blue ocean territory because we have a strong brand, so people trust us. Um, and I think that is so important. People who are, if you're coming into drop shipping, I imagine it's not only to make a quick buck, get in and get out, because it's a lot of work at the end of the right. day. You know, you have a lot of responsibility as an e commerce owner. This is a big deal. Like, this is, you know, as you can build a brand as big as, you know, Nike. Like, look at Wayfair or Wish. Those are drop shipping brands and they're huge. So, you have a lot of potential. And I think if you take it seriously and focus on brand building from the start, you are going to have consistent, predictable, you know, and even exponential income and a lot of repeat customers, too, by the way. Like, we know that. Re- repeat customers is a pretty rare thing for like traditional drop shipping, but we actually have 8% repeat customers, which is like 
very high for drop shipping. And that's 100% because of the trust we build with our community. So you mentioned brand building. What, what does that look like? I think brand building, like to me, it means a unified feeling that you're creating. So that like starts tactically, like your store looks cohesive, like everything is kind of, you know, makes sense together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think having a really nice visual looking brand looks good. Um, the way that you speak to your audience, the content mm-hmm. that you share, the type of product descriptions that you write. I mean, that is all part of, you know, being unique, like what makes you different? Why would somebody buy, you know, sunglasses from you versus somebody else? Like if if I just put, you know, black sunglasses on my website and wrote the description black sunglasses, that's not very on brand, I would say, you know, but if I really described what's so special about them, how they will make you feel, that's creating a unique approach, which builds a brand. Yeah, it's about an aesthetic and a feel more than anything else. And especially with drop shipping, you know, when you're running Facebook ads, people buy stuff from you because of the way it makes them feel, not because it's something they've necessarily been looking yeah. for for a long time. It's something they didn't know they they wanted, but you made them feel a certain way and now they want to buy it. And not to get like too off topic with this, but like the idea of like a brand in a niche. Um, I don't think like a niche is like we sell pants and it's like, I don't think a product is a niche. I think it's the uh, customer is like the niche, like the kind of person who would like these pants. If you're selling leggings, it's not a legging store. It's a a store that happens to sell leggings and other products for people who like a certain type of yoga or like um, it's an it's an active young adult store. Yeah, like, as exactly. Opposed to a, like, yeah, that's a great way to say it. Um, yeah, so I think that is a big thing as far as branding and building a brand. It's about the entire vibe and energy and like who the customer is, not what the customer likes. So well, it's, it's both. Who the customer is will determine who the customer likes. Yeah, but I'm saying it's not just like what they like, yeah. not the one thing that they like. It's all of the things they like that make them the person that they are. And yeah. that's the whole idea you're trying to channel. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the the thought process around around niches is just the products, like mm-hmm. which which products are like unto themselves related and, and how can we like wedge those together. But yeah, I guess what you're saying is to look at it from the outside and say like, what, how is the, the, the customer or the target audience going to perceive Yeah, them? and that's a way more eloquent way to say <laughs> what I was trying to say. So thank you there. I think like a great example, just like tangibly, you know, like if you want to start a dog store, I see people start a ton of like dog toy stores. I don't really think that's a niche, but I think if you start like a dog lover store and there's like toys for your dogs and maybe like t-shirts saying like, I love my dog or like clothes for your dog, things like that. That is more of a brand versus like, here's some dog toys. Right. We talked about speaking to, to an audience. And so the your store is, is, you know, generally speaking, a fashion store. I'm curious how you learned that audience's language or what sort of background you had going into it that maybe enabled you to, to speak more cohesively to them? Or is that something that you learned only after the fact? Okay, like, to be honest, I wanted to make this easy on myself. So this was an audience that I was already part of. So I, like, knew how they spoke. I knew what they liked. Um, and because it was just, like, stuff I like. But there's a lot more research, too. I mean, I remember you, when you created our uh, the story we're talking about, you delved into Reddit pretty deeply, uh, trying to find out other things about... Um, that type of niche, what they liked, and other things like that. No? You um, did, yeah. yeah He's sure. giving you credit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think also like if maybe you don't have a community you're already part of, um, but let's say you really want to sell to dog lovers, you simply just ask them. Like Mike said, Reddit is a really great place to learn about like how people talk about, you know, their dogs. You know, you can ask them where they go to buy stuff, where they go to search for information. And in that way, um, you know, you can learn how the language of another niche, even if like you're not part of it. One thing I will say, though, not all niches are buyers. So there's like just niches of people who are interested in stuff. And there's like niches of people who are interested in stuff. And they like also love buying mm -hmm. it. So for example, like people who love comic books, they love talking about it. But they also love buying comic books, you know, collecting things like that. So that's like a buyer's niche. So I would really like try to find that like a niche that's already been proven to really buy stuff. Yeah, it's hard to target like a niche of minimalists. Yeah, <laughs> it's not your best bet. And, and what's the? I mean, can you can you filter out the potential buyers versus the people who are merely interested, kind of intuitively, or, or, or is this something that you kind of you throw out some Facebook ads and see see who's biting? But what's the what's the process for seeing how? you know, aggressive, these people are going to be buying it. I think that's something that you determine before you start the store. So um, like, honestly, there's a few ways to do it. Like see if there's already other stores that exist that are like running ads or, you know, running um, products to influencers, because if they're doing that and they're spending money on it, it likely means there's a big ROI. So it's like, honestly, you could just like scroll Instagram and see what influencers are sharing, because that probably means there's a lot of money behind it um, and kind of like search that niche that way. Um, I think that's honestly the most effective way, like just go on YouTube, go on Facebook and see what other ads are running um, and if they're really engaged and kind of take it that way. That's yeah. what I would do. There's also certainly an element of testing in, in terms of your targeting and then really honing in on who is going to be the most viral buyer. Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I assume you know a bit less about fashion than, than Yulia does. Uh, not anymore. I don't know. <laughs> Do you, are you saying you don't like my clothes right now? Your, your t-shirt is great, but uh, her, her sweatshirt and earrings might, might do. So I wanted to ask what, what your relationship is to, to the actual products. I mean, have you, have you, maybe you have learned as, as much as, as she knows about it and, and now you're, you're up to speed, but what's, how do you approach the, the products versus the non-product uh, part of the equation? Uh, yes, I definitely have been brought up to speed with that for sure. Um, it's taken a little while. In the beginning, it was mostly Yulia focused on all of the product stuff and I was doing more technical back-end things. But after being immersed in this for like a, a couple of years now, it's kind of, um, I feel like I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anyone as far <laughs> as speaking to this brand. Um, so like a lot of the advertisements we do for things that are like fashion, it's about um, communicating a feeling or an emotion. So we've worked together on a lot of this, but um, I've helped write a lot of pretty good ad copy, or I think pretty good ad copy, about just um, you know describing an emotion that you would feel when you wear some of these products. Uh, I've written like poetry about it that actually goes really well into the ads. Kind of inspirational things. Literally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've run poem ads and they've uh, worked really well. It doesn't say anything about the product at all, but it um, just focuses on the feeling that one would have when 
having this product in their life. So Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like those poems have gone viral. Like when we um, search for people to DMCA, if you copy our stuff, uh, we find like uh, just a ton of women sharing selfies just like with the quote of like from our ad copy because they just like love it so much. So just inspirational poems we've written. When things go viral, you get more bang for your buck. You know, people share it for free. So. Why not? Now, we ran a success story uh, about you two on the website uh, last year. And, and Yulia, you said something that was really interesting. Uh, and that was, uh, sometimes we'll choose a product and we'll be like, oh, my God, it's so cute. I really want to, uh, this product to sell. And then it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't, stop spending money on it instead of being like, oh, I really love that product. Uh, and you went on to say, I think it's important to keep testing and really let the numbers dictate your actions rather than your emotions. Uh, and that, that, was, that was really interesting. I think it's, it's spot on, but it's easier said than done, too. So I'm curious if you could shed some light on, on how you can, you know, find ways to, to set your emotions aside and, and really stay focused on not what you like, but what, what might actually be selling. Well, you know, it's a lot of trial and error because I notice when I attach my emotions, it's just not good looks. Like we hold on to products for maybe longer than we should just because we really want it to work. Um, and it's something that honestly comes with practice, especially like in my situation where I actually like the niche I'm in first and, you know, made a business out of it second. Um, but at the end of the day, this is a business and profit is number one. So maybe I like a product. Cool. I'll buy it for myself. Mm -hmm. But if my like customers don't like it onto the next one, we always have a queue of products that we like that we are ready like to keep testing. So have a lot of products that you're ready to go. Um, that way you're not just like putting all your eggs in one basket and hoping like one product will work. No, I mean, if you think, uh, if you look at the products in our store now versus when we started, they're completely different. Uh, who we thought our target customers were going to be, uh, is very different from who our actual customers are now and we just have to roll with it and you know it's a two degree or two millimeter shift but it makes all the difference totally you talked about you know you relying on tests and testing to to kind of dictate what's in your store what form do these tests take are you looking at you know margin per product or facebook ad click-through rate where are the numbers coming from we initially started um testing using only facebook ads and then scaling from there for product works well now we actually do it cheaper we test it with email first. So we'll like send it to our audience list. And this is something, you know, you do later on once you already built up a bigger email list, we'll say like new product in stock. And once we see like if it's converting really well with our email list, then we'll launch it um, onto Facebook and see how it does with click through rates, conversion rates, and most importantly, like return on ad spend. Um, and we started that way. Yeah. And as far as ads go, there's a ton of KPIs we can look at, but really the only ones that matter are cost per purchase and ROAS. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I can't put food on the table based on clicks. Right. It's, it's about return on spend. So, um, and every product and everything that we've done behaves differently. So it's hard to say that like, oh, this is a good cost per click. This is going to help us. Ultimately, it's um, some of them just all behave differently with all those KPIs. But as long as they make money at the end of the day, then those are the ones that stick around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just to give you an example with like how differently products behave with similar audiences, like we'll have certain products that 
people buy just that one product and that's it um, versus we have other products where like maybe like not as many people will buy it but those who do buy it tend to buy like other products too and they like really are into our upsells so that's why it honestly it's like the earlier funnel stats vary so much for each product but at the end of the day, monitor return on ad spend and use email really just to give you like an indication of, I think this will probably sell well. So it's like a safer bet than just like, you know, testing like 10 random products. So the email might precede the, the ads. Yeah. You're, now it does. Yeah, yeah. I would say so. Um, but like, and contradicting everything I just said, I do care <laughs> about cost per click a little bit too, because that determines how many people get onto our website and that determines how many people get into our email sequences. Right. So that that is slightly important. Um, like if we were testing other platforms that we're less familiar with, like Google Ads or um, even on Pinterest, I do value cost per click somewhat because we have a strong email remarketing thing. Now, I know one of the, uh, the challenges that you two, or at least Yulia, you've spoken about this, uh, that you experienced going from from your first business into dropshipping was that there are some things that you just lose control of. Um, you know, you went from from owning owning the process start to finish. You know, finding the the products and then finding the um, and then actually mailing them out yourself. I know the mailing part was was <laughs> tedious, that, but but at least you controlled it. So I think there was you know at least you know you, you, it was in your hands literally. Um, those things are just intrinsically not part of dropshipping. Like you you do not do you do not do the shipping. You are not creating the products. The one thing you can do to kind of offset those aspects of, uh, of drop shipping is to find really good suppliers. Uh, and so I'm curious how you all, you know, have kind of made sure you don't lose any sleep over this, uh, knowing that you are going to forfeit some control. Yeah. So we, we really do, um, our, work and finding suppliers that we can trust because we have been burned a few times. But I'm so grateful that that happened because, you know, it really taught us what to look for um, and really expedite that process of, oh, my God, like, let me focus um, on problem solving versus problem avoiding. And I think like, you know, when we had full control of everything that was in our business, like with our subscription box and me with coaching, it was really focused on problem avoiding. And I think that's like kind of like the first step of being an entrepreneur. And then like as you grow and you build a bigger enterprise, yeah, you want to focus really on problem solving because if you're not having problems, your business is really like not probably not as big as you want it to be. You're not taking as many risks. So um, it was hard at first, but I've honestly really eased into it because I know that if these are the problems I'm having, they're like on the, I'm on the right track mm -hmm. to really building a huge business. Um, and I, there's kind of actually some freedom and like, there's a lot of things I can't control, but I know the one thing I can control is I have certainty in us and in our team that we can handle anything. Um, and so there's certainty in that. And I much prefer that kind of certainty because it's scalable. <laughs> 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 um, and as far as like um, with new products and everything, we at this point are fortunate enough of pretty much working with the same suppliers every time now. But um, finding suppliers in the beginning, um, if it's something that you're dropshipping from China, like through AliExpress, we have to check the ratings of them. So what are some of the metrics we have for that? 
Yeah. So um, the first thing with any product, I look at the pictures first because a lot of times the pictures on AliExpress, like the, the product pictures. photos are different from the review photos. So we always look for review photos first. From from customers, you mean? Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and then we look at the supplier rating. So we really like to go for like no lower than 98%, like really like higher 98, 99. And then I always uh, like to message the suppliers and just ask them like general questions like, hey, I want a drop ship with you what's your processing time what's your shipping time what happens you know if a product is faulty when a customer receives it those answers are important but also what's really important is how quickly the supplier responds um, if they take more than 24 hours to respond I really don't want to work with them because that's going to be a huge headache when it comes to you know like conflict and resolution um, so those are really like the key things and then once you find a supplier you like, we personally have really tried to stick with them. So if we see like another product on AliExpress, but our supplier doesn't have it yet, we would ask them if they could get it so that we are, have a continuous relationship with the same supplier that we trust. Yeah. And for like non-AliExpress things, um, we've dropshipped some products from America. Um, so that's harder if they're on Etsy or something. They don't have as thorough of a rating system for them as suppliers, but the same type of principles work where we just discuss with them these questions and hopefully they respond quickly enough. Um, and if it's America to America, we can get samples pretty quickly and easily, and they're generally really good about that. So yeah, uh, that's, that's very important. You mentioned that you did have uh, a headache or two with, uh, with suppliers. What I'm curious if you can, can, name one or two uh, instances, because I think this is like a, a nightmare that every, you know, one of you dropshipper has or, or will have at some point that the supplier, you know, muffs something. What what happened uh, that you that you remember? Yeah. So this happened like last summer. So this was a product we started selling that didn't have many orders on AliExpress, um, but we took it viral. Like it just blew up. And the first couple weeks, it was great. Like we were scaling and scaling and they were fine. Um, and we kept placing orders. And then basically it turns out our supplier just didn't have this product for a really long time and didn't sell it, like didn't tell us and didn't really know when they would manufacture more. Um, luckily, our customers are amazing and we like reached out to them proactively and explained that, um, you know, this product is selling out super quickly and we're manufacturing more. So here's like a gift card and it's going to be a little bit of a delay. So we were able to mitigate it. Um, but it was just a nightmare because we needed more product that they just didn't have. And this was a supplier who was super nice and responsive, but wasn't ready to scale. Um, another one was one of the first products that went viral. The pictures looked good on AliExpress, but once we started getting returns, we realized like what a horrible product it was. So I'm not, and again, that was a supplier that didn't do large volumes. So I'm not sure if they like forged their own products pictures or what, but it was just like a nightmare because like we checked all the boxes. Yeah. Um, but still when we actually saw the physical product, it was horrible, which is why now we really do recommend when like you're scaling a product big to actually actually order it, see it yourself, and see yeah. it yourself because that was just like a nightmare that we couldn't have avoided without doing that. If you're making enough money on ads that you are going to scale it, you can afford the quick shipping to have to order one to yourself. Yeah, like pay like 30 yeah. bucks or something and get it overnight. And yeah, just if, you, if you're going to scale a product, $30 it's a business. It's, you can spend $30 to have one overnighted to you or yeah. to really see what it is because 
You know, it's going to cost you a lot more money in refunds if you have to refund hundreds or thousands, <laughs> especially since you don't get, when you do a refund, you don't get your ad spend back. Yeah. And that's the most expensive part. One thing I wanted to ask about is is the conversion rate that you all have on your website. And it's, you've a lot of the life of your store has been like north of 5% conversion rate, which, you know, in the industry is not normal. 2% would be something that you could be relatively happy with and you, you all are, are way above double that. Is that a, a testament to the store itself or does that show that you're targeting exactly the right people? What's what's behind the the kind of abnormally high conversion rate that you all have? Branding. Branding. I just want to say, first of all, we use a free Shopify theme. Like there is nothing <laughs> like we didn't pay a developer a ton of money to make a fancy theme. We have a, a simple free theme. Um, we just have really good product descriptions. Our pictures are nothing special. Like we get everything off AliExpress. We don't shoot our own photos. We tried, but it didn't convert nearly as well as the AliExpress ones. Um, we really keep it simple. We just focus our efforts on the product description and the targeting. So I think targeting, those, two yeah. key, those two things together work beautifully. I would say that's where you should allocate most of your time if you're really focused on brand building. And I think that's just a big thing with like having like a niche store like this and having so many, all of your customers tend to be the same type of customer. So the F Facebook algorithm's gotten really strong and really understands like who your customers are. This year in 2019 so far, we convert somewhere between like six to 9% yeah. a day. Wow, yeah, so it's... um Those poems. <laughs> <laughs> And is the, you mentioned the Facebook algorithm, is, is the group of people that Facebook is sending your ads to now anything like what you thought it would have been when, when the store started or has, has the, like your expected target group evolved a ton algorithmically yeah. from the original? Yes, our expected is exactly the way I would say it. Uh, it's really evolved quite a bit. Um, in the beginning, when we were smaller, we were doing much more like micro-targeting, like layering interests on top of each other located here interested yeah. in that mm -hmm. like that yeah. but as you get more customers and i think that's a great way to start and that's the kind of strategy you need in the beginning but as your store gets bigger and you have uh larger spend and much more data that facebook can use based on like uh your pixel and things like that then we just tend to go really ridiculously broad with our targeting um, and let Facebook do the heavy lifting uh -huh. at that point. So you, so you, you would end up with like a an eight figure group, like 10, yeah, twenty well, million. And then we're, we target. I mean, at, in the beginning, we were targeting like under a million. Uh -huh. um, but at this point now, uh, any ad set we have targets thirty five million people okay. minimum. Uh -huh. um, and then Facebook will figure and it out. And Facebook, just because <laughs> if you have enough customer data and enough pixel data, then that's the best way to use it. Facebook is an extremely powerful tool. So when you get enough data, let Facebook can target better than you can target. But in right. the beginning, you have to do all that yourself. But at this point, you just go as big as possible and let Facebook do it. Some of our best ads um, have no targeting. Oh, we wow. just run an ad to the countries that we want to advertise with no interests. So if we want run one to like the US, it's like 250 million people or something like that, no targeting. And we always see positive ROAS on that. Wow. Just because Facebook can do the work better than you can. And generally speaking, like the more data you have, the more you can, you know, give Facebook the reins. And the way you get more data is by 
spending money yeah. Yeah. Um, and testing continuously. And of course, there's smarter ways to do Facebook ads where you can be a little bit more lean. But I will be honest, you know, we did spend a lot of money, I would say, like in the first couple months, like $5,000 that weren't profitable to get a lot of data. Um, and then after that, we were able to profit pretty quickly. But I know it's scary. I just don't want to sugarcoat it and say, you know, you can build like a multi-million dollar business by testing for $5 a day. But, you know, it takes time and you can test for $5 a day for a year and get that data. It's just a matter of how quickly do you want to see that. And the more data you have, the quicker like you can reach the masses who are going to be proven buyers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And disclaimer on all that ad strategy, that's what's working right now in the summer of 2019. Yes. Uh -huh. Facebook evolves so quickly that no strategy will ever last forever. You always have to be testing. Things are always changing. Um, our ad strategy now is drastically different than 2018 or the beginning of 2019. Um, is it more Instagram heavy now than it would have been at like 2018, for example? Or, or just different within it's Facebook? It's just, just different within Facebook. I mean, it's just as far as like uh, Facebook is evolving more into like uh, campaign budget optimization, CBOs. Uh, that's going to be the big thing late 2019. So it's just whatever works does not work forever. You right. always have to just be moving and evolving. So if you're listening to this in 2021, I'm not sure if this is still the way to do it. But but definitely what we can be sure of, don't get comfortable with your Facebook ad mm -hmm. strategy. Like keep it sharp because that is one mistake we made. We like kept the same strategy for like over six months and we were like, oh my God, why isn't it working? Like we're failures, blah, blah. And then we just changed it and everything blew up again. So just don't get complacent. Don't get comfortable and like always keep testing. But you all work with with charitable organizations, uh, you know, whereby a certain amount of your uh, revenue will get you know donated to charities. There's two elements to this. I mean, the first is that it's awesome to to help the needy, like that's that's great. But then what might be interesting, you know, for somebody who's who's launching a store or trying to figure out how to implement the sort of branding tactics you're talking about. I'm curious how you not only do that, but then make noise about it. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think first of all, like people are buying based on emotion, right? And so we love to talk about it in our post-purchase emails. Like, hey, you did a really good thing. Like, not only did you buy something you liked and like treated yourself, but you're also helping somebody. And I think like, you know, when people buy stuff off of an ad from a brand they probably have never heard of, there is that little bit of doubt. And so this is just our way of like affirming, hey, like, thank you so much. Like you did the right thing. And by the way, like you're doing something really good. That's a really great, like dope dopamine rush for somebody yeah. when they purchase something. So we try not to like, I mean, we can talk forever about like the morals or ethics of like leading with like, hey, we donate to charity, so buy from us. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily sure how I feel about that. Um, but we definitely mention it. We don't lead with it. And honestly, we do it more for ourselves. I think a really big part of like building a big business and building wealth is responsibility to give back and like giving back from day one. I think that builds a lot of like good positive energy and karma not only around your business but for yourself as well so we talk about it we're not like discreet about it but it's not in your face as a way to incentivize people to buy but more so as like an affirmation that mm -hmm. you did the right thing sure yeah the purchase button doesn't say like give to charity give to it, cha yeah <laughs> it yeah says, it says, you know, buy no it's a symbiotic relationship it's a great thing to do you help people and Charities like are very important like that, but yeah, it's um, 
a big thing, especially, you know, with if you're selling something that has longer shipping times after the purchase is, did I make the right decision? And that just helps that feeling too. So I think it's a win-win-win. Okay, cool. I'll get you out of here on on one last question. And that is, you know, now that you've been in drop shipping for for a couple of years and you've, you know, you've hit that that coveted seven-figure mark on on store sales. Looking back, you know, at the at when you started this whole journey, is there anything that that you wish you would have known or that it would have been really helpful if, if somebody would have whispered to you, uh, you know, on day one? Yeah, I think for me, like it can be really intimidating, like initially, like going on YouTube or social media and seeing people's like crazy revenue numbers and thinking like, oh my God, like I will never get there. But the truth of the matter is like right now we have, you know, like a multiple seven figure business, but exactly two years ago, we didn't even know what drop shipping was. Like the weekend I launched drop shipping, I didn't know what drop shipping was. So um, it's something that you can learn really quickly if you're motivated and driven, but also remember to have fun with it and also to not get discouraged because how much revenue you make and how much profit you make can change so quickly in the drop shipping world. Like I say to Mike, I can't even believe we own like a you know, such a huge business because it just kind of happened uh, because we were really focused and really smart and really knew our numbers, um, which you should do. (laughs) And yeah, just like don't give up and don't get discouraged and just take one step at a time. I agree. Um, As far as things that I wish I knew or that would be helpful for people starting out like this, um, I think what's most important to me is that Facebook ads are not like the problem. That's not what your issue is with your store. You should spend way more time really polishing your product pages, making sure they're mobile friendly, making sure you're upselling products, making sure all of that is right, make sure you have very good products, and then run Facebook ads. If all of that stuff is in place, you can have a horrible Facebook ad with pretty bad targeting and it will still make money. But if that stuff's not in place, you can spend all your time running Facebook ads and it won't work. And I feel like in the community, especially with people starting, people always think, oh, if I could just get Facebook ads working, then I'd be making money. But I really think Facebook ads will kind of work pretty much. Don't spend your time worrying about the details of the Facebook ads. Spend your time worrying about the details of the Shopify page more than anything else. Because Facebook ads just like amplify what already is. So if you have like a not so great site, you know, Facebook ads are not going to be so great. Yeah. Product descriptions, copy, pictures, everything that's way more important than, um, you know, if I'm spending $25 a day in a CBO or multiple ad sets splitting by age demographics, that's not important in the beginning at all. Yeah, and just remember, like, you're probably going to fail a lot. So be excited to fail because literally every fail we made, like, ended up making us so much more money because we learned from it and implemented it. So, like, get excited because if you're starting this or you're in the middle of this, like, you're going to fail a lot. But those are just, like, opportunities to optimize certain areas of your business. So if your ads aren't working at first, like celebrate that, figure out why, and then like keep going. So you'll be better for it every time. Yes. Motivational. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Mike, Yulia, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. All right, David here. Thanks again to Yulia and Mike. And thanks again to you as well for joining. 
If you're looking for more episodes of Start Yours, you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be releasing more soon, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of those. And of course, we'd be thrilled if you took a moment to review the podcast. Also, Overload.com has you covered for blog posts, eBooks, and other goodies on e-commerce and starting a business. And you can find Overload on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Finally, you can reach us via email at podcast at overlow.com. All right, talk to you soon.